Thank you, Allison. Appreciate that. So where I go to the dentist, they have this tool, maybe you have a similar one at your dentist, where they go and they measure all the pockets around each tooth, you know, three, two, three, four, five, four, call the police. There's an emergency here, there's huge pockets. Um, but I love the computer they have there because uh, the hygienist says, start listening. And she starts talking, stop listening. We think we need one of those for our children. Start listening. Clean your room. Stop listening. Um, there's a difference between listening and actually hearing, isn't there? If you're at the airport and there's an overhead page that comes through, um, you tend to ignore those. You know, there's a white courtesy phone for Bill. Bill, come to the white courtesy phone. Don't leave any unmarked bags. You know, there's been a gate change for whatever flight. And you kind of tune those out. But if you suddenly realize that's your flight or your unmarked bags, well, I guess the how they know, uh, or you need to go to the white courtesy phone, suddenly you are all ears, right? You are attentive. Another example of listening versus hearing might be in my marriage. <laughs> I've been married 25 years, and uh, there's times where uh, I think I've probably heard where the napkins, the cloth napkins are stored, but I'm, I can't really remember where to put them away when they've been washed. Uh, or what kind of knives can be washed in the dishwasher and which ones do we hand wash? I'm not really clear on that. And it's not that I have not been told, I just didn't pay attention. <laughs> There's actually a man in my family who will remain nameless, he may listen to this later on the website, who, whose wife was so concerned that he, he wasn't hearing what she said that he got a hearing test. And it turns out he hears just fine. <laughs> But we aren't always really listening, are we? Consider how you listen. Jesus is, is speaking, and he's speaking through the sowing of the word. And how we listen to Jesus' words is so essential to life. It's key. Are we actively listening to Jesus? Whether it's in relationship to a spouse or a friend or the Lord, how we listen really determines the quality of the relationship and certainly of the follow-through, doesn't it? God is speaking. Are you listening? And so Jesus speaks, and Matthew 13, he really shifts, and he starts using these parables. Pastor Ricky gets to cover the rest of chapter 13 next week, and he gets five more parables. And what, what is a parable, and why parables? Uh, a parable is a, stor- a practical story using simile or metaphor to illustrate spiritual truth. And often parables leave the mind in doubt about the precise application causing you to ponder it just a little bit longer. It's a story to teach spiritual truth. And it's universally true that when when people are unreceptive, speakers like to use stories to help them to accept the message. So Jesus uses parables and stories to talk about the kingdom of God. In this parable, we're really fortunate because Jesus actually spells out, here's what all these parts over here mean over here. And so after the disciples' question about why parables, he tells them, here's what this part corresponds to. And so we hear that seeds are sown. The Word of God goes out. And how does the Word of God go out? God's people proclaim the good news. We, the people of God, not just pastors and missionaries, we get to show and tell the good news, and the Word of God goes out. I think it's really cool where this hasn't happened yet, where there's not been an actual voice proclaiming who Jesus is, how dreams and visions are often used. I hear a lot in the Muslim world, a missionary will show up and basically hear, we've been waiting for you. You know, uh, we were expecting somebody to come with really thin banana leaves 
or, or we had a dream about this Jesus, and here you are, tell us more about him. He is always speaking. Romans 1 says that even the creation itself is speaking. It tells the glory of God and some of the character and the power and the wonder of God. Most specifically, this seed, Jesus tells us, is the message about the kingdom. What is that? What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God could be defined as God's people in God's place under God's rule. So Adam and Eve were God's people in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's rule by him speaking to them in the garden. Um, Under the law of Mount Sinai, we've got a different definition of what those are. Today in the church, we are the people of God in God's place, the church, under God's rule. And in heaven, it'll be a whole different uh, thing where we're actually in God's presence. But that's a quick definition of the kingdom of God. And that's what the seeds are, the message about the kingdom. Seeds are marvelous little things, aren't they? They are really, really powerful. Under the right conditions, they can explode exponentially. Uh, My wife and the homeschool moms talked about what a seed is. They they cover this in in homeschool science. It's easy to to plant a seed and see it actually grow. And they told me the definition they give of of a seed is a tiny plant in a box with its lunch. Isn't that nice? You take that one to the bank. And seeds are so powerful. If you think of what it was that first got your attention in terms of spiritual things, maybe it was just a word or a phrase that really arrested your attention. Or maybe it was a Sunday school lesson from 30 years ago that came back to you and you remembered seeds are so, so powerful. But even so, why are there so many different responses to God then? As the word goes out, as people hear the good news about Jesus and his kingdom, why are there so many different responses? And Christ tells us because there are different conditions of soil, different hearts that are ready to receive or not receive it. And wherever the word is sown, there are four different conditions possible in a human heart. And I would believe that all four are present here this morning, because in a group this size, there's got to be hearts of all different kinds, some that are open and receptive, some that are not so open or receptive, and the Lord wants us to see what these soils are. I want to offer a disclaimer, though, before I talk too much about the different soils, uh, I want to say that any of us are on shaky ground if we claim to know what's inside somebody else's heart. I don't claim to know your heart, nor you my heart, nor anybody else's heart. We really can't know that. On the other hand, Jesus does say, by their fruit, you will know them. So there is fruit that we can give evidence that we do love and follow Jesus, but there's false fruit and all kinds of things, so I don't want to pretend to know someone's motives. Uh, But Jesus does want us to learn about these four soils. So soil number one is the hard-hearted. The hard-hearted. This is seed sown along the path. The evil one comes and snatches away the word that's been sown. This first soil is totally unreceptive. It hears the word, but has no interest in responding positively to it. A lot of things can make for hard soil in your heart. Maybe a proud or unteachable spirit. Maybe a sinful pattern that you don't want to let go of, and you're sure that if you uh, receive this word, God will ask you to let go of this sinful pattern. An example from the Bible is the Pharisees. They hear the word. They know the, the Bible really well but they're immediately offended and, and resistant to Jesus and his message of his kingdom. He ate with the wrong crowd. He didn't observe their strict observance of the, the Talmud and the Mishnah, their commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, they despised him for his healing work on the Sabbath, and they wanted him dead. Very hard-hearted. Another example from my mom. She has a group of friends that she walks with in her neighborhood. One lady is very... Um, doesn't want to talk about spiritual things. If something comes up spiritual on the walk, she'll change the subject quickly. 
uh, at Christmas time, my mom gave her an invitation to Christmas Eve service at her church, and she didn't even look at it and said, no, thank you, I'm not religious. Don't let me touch that thing. It's, you know, going to hurt me or something. So very hesitant, very uh, resistant to the seed. Uh, some people might just even say, I've got my mind made up. There is nothing more in the universe than what I can see, feel, taste, touch, experience. That first soil is hard-hearted. The second soil is shallow and infertile. The seed falls on a rocky ground. These folks hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but having no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Don't think of this soil as, as dirt with rocks in it. In, uh, in Judea, you often had this limestone that was not very deep below the surface. So you've got a thin bit of soil and then limestone rock. So you'd see plants that would start, oh, we've got a great plant here. Oh, actually, no, it didn't ever have roots. It's not really going to make it. These hearers lack the deep understanding that the word seeks. They, they lack a hearing, a real hearing of it by clearing space for the word in devotions, in public and private worship, so that the world doesn't overwhelm it. Here's an example of that. John chapter 6, uh, verse 14 and 15. The people see Jesus do this amazing miracle, feeding 5,000 men plus women and children from five loaves of bread. And verse 14 of John 6, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here they're convinced, ooh, this guy, he's really something. Let's follow him. But fast forward in that same chapter to verse 41, Jesus keeps talking, and the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Fast forward even more, verse 52, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And at the end of that chapter, many walked away, who had been following him, walked away. They were interested in the sign, they liked the bread, they didn't like the hard teaching. Because these plants have no roots, at the first sign of difficulty, they're gone. And life is going to involve difficulty. Don't expect anything different. Even life with Jesus will be filled with difficulty. Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. You'll have trouble. It's just a given. Take heart, though. I have overcome the world. Maybe you have a story of something that you started uh, and were very enthusiastic about, and it lasted, you know, about a day. For me, it was my illustrious career as a Red Robin dishwasher. First job in college. Here I am. Uh, I started, and I had this punky little 16-year-old kid tell me what to do, and I wasn't doing it right, wasn't doing it right, and I had to ride my bike in the rain both ways to Red Robin, and I thought, I quit. I'm done. I was one day as a dishwasher at Red Robin. I got my W-2 and everything at the end of the year. They were very above board. And to those of you who can wash dishes well, uh, I salute you. That's not me. What about the armchair quarterback who gets to two-a-day football practices and says, oh, just kidding. <laughs> I'm not really cut out for this. I thought it was going to be all fun and games. Or people who basically say, I'm going to try this God thing out. I'm going to add this good thing to my life if it gives me what I want. We make a little deal with God. We say, I want, I want good things. I'm going to do what good people do, and he'll bless me. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's manipulation, actually. 
And the sad thing is that most of us know personal examples of folks who have been like this shallow, infertile soil. I had a friend in middle school, one of my best friends. We were in the band together. He was an amazing saxophone player. I played the trumpet. We'd hang out. We watched TV shows together. And I wanted him to know Jesus. And I invited him to this camp that we had. And it was a five-day rafting camp on the Snake River. Talk about intense. You're, you're uh, camping under the stars, making your own food, killing rattlesnakes. <laughs> and uh, it was a, a really, really amazing week. And we, we, have, we were taught the word very clearly from our youth pastor. At the end of that week, before we left, my friend told me the last morning, I went and I talked to the youth pastor this morning. And I thought, yes, he's in. And he, he came back, and here's what he said, though. He said, I told him I'm going to give this God thing a try. And I really hope that meant the seed had germinated and formed a, a growing plant, but it never did. To my knowledge, my friend never, ever followed up on that discussion with the youth pastor, never gave the seed room to grow. And most of us have, have seen stories like that. The rocky soil illustrates the terrible danger of a shallow heart that doesn't want to evaluate and go deeper, but it's always living on the surface, following the emotion of the moment, what's fun and exciting The third soil is thorn-choked soil, falling among the thorns. These folks hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the word. Choked listening is distracted by other interests and concerns. Even, Even good things can distract it. But this can happen when anything other than Jesus takes center in our lives. A couple different things. Worries choke this out. And wealth couple of W's. It's interesting, too, in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew, he puts these two things back to back. Don't be led astray by the worries of this world. Each day has got no trouble of its own. And then also he teaches about wealth. Don't be distracted by wealth. Lots of things can choke out the word. For instance, consider the amount of time given to social media, conspiracy theories, following politics or the news following celebrity culture or the world of sports and entertainment, which the latest player had been traded. And it's glittery and seductive, and it wants to suck you in. Did you know that websites, and especially social media platforms, are designed to keep you there, to keep you hooked, to spend more time on their site? Totally true. The algorithms search, and they say, what does Jim want to see on his Facebook feed? We're going to serve him more kitten pictures or whatever it is. Tools. I'm sure it's tools, right? Woodworking tools. You are the product of Facebook. You're not the customer. You're the product. The more clicks, the more scrolls and swipes, the more ad revenue. So just consider that. They're meant to draw you in and keep you there. And we could, we, sh- we, we can and should follow the news. It's good to know what's happening in the world, but not with the same gravity or ultimacy or finality as when we read the Word of God. If you do, if you put that above the Word of God, you're going to be tossed around by every opinion, every latest thing that comes across the wire. And there'll be little stability in your life and little fruit. The sad thing about this heart is it's not disinterested in the gospel. It's just distracted. It's busy. And isn't that a wonderful temptation of our age? And actually, the promise of smartphones, you never, ever have to be bored again in your life. But we're distracted. We are so distracted all the time by all the things beeping and asking for our attention. There's little time to think about the word that's been sown to really receive it. Here's Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. 
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. There's going to be worries tomorrow, but don't worry about it. (laughs) Today's trouble is enough for today. And God's right there with you in the midst of your trouble. Or this from Matthew 16. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There is a battle for our soul. The worries of this world depress us. They take us down and away from the word. And the allure of wealth, it takes us up and away from the word. Like, oh, what if I had all these things? It's not even having wealth that's the problem. It's loving wealth. We can love wealth and have very little of it. And just be so focused on getting. I know people that, some people that are very wealthy and they're just very free with it. And they're very giving and generous and it does not control them. But it's true, I think, that the more riches you have, the more anxiety you have as well. These tend to go together. The higher your stock portfolio, the more you're worried about the coronavirus making it go south. Maybe we should just get rid of our stock portfolios and worry less. One of the saddest examples of this kind of soil in Scripture is the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He said, I want to know what it takes to get to heaven. I want to be a follower of yours. And Jesus knew the, the hold that riches had on this guy's life. And he says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Worries and wealth are huge distractions from us really hearing and understanding the message of the kingdom. The fourth soil is the cultivated and receptive soil. This is good soil, the soil that someone hears the word, understands it, and produces a crop with an exponential yield. It's essential for the seed to enter the soil, that the word of God be heard for what it is and be allowed to develop roots, stems, flowers, seeds, Here's the main job of the soil. Give the seed room to grow. Give the seed room to grow. The first word of this parable in the Greek is look, and the last word of it is listen. Look at what Jesus is saying and listen to what he means. Your life depends on this. Consider how you listen. The problem of the three failed soils is they didn't really pay attention to what Jesus was saying. The fourth soil made up its mind to pay attention to the word of Jesus, take it in and be transformed by it, and to bear fruit. So what is fruit? What kind of fruit are we talking about? Is it cherries or apples? Uh, About five examples from the Bible. One is true salvation. That's fruit we hear about in the Bible. Holiness, holy living. Christian character, that's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Good works. Winning souls is the fifth one. It's not on there. I promise it's there on my notes. This is the kind of fruit that Jesus wants to bear, wants us to bear. Here's a great example. Luke chapter 10, 72 followers of Christ are sent out with some instructions. Go and declare, here's the message, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near you. And he tells them to go where there's fertile soil. And, and they do, and they obey, and there's a wonderful crop that's harvested. Luke chapter 10, maybe read it at home. It's interesting, though, at the same time, he says, if you come to a town that's unreceptive, where they aren't fruitful, shake the dust off your feet. Shake the soil that's unfruitful off your feet, even. Think of uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and how the whole world's been transformed by Christ's people who, uh, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Christian faith has been the driving force behind so many societal and social movements for the common good. 
not just the profound change in billions of individual lives, but the establishment of universities, hospitals, reconciliation movements between the races, the classes, the genders. Think of how many nonprofits have been started around the world because Christ's people have been transformed by His Holy Spirit. That's very fruitful. That's exponential growth. Think about the spread of the gospel throughout the world. There's that fifth one. Uh, here is a, an infographic. I may put it on our church Facebook page um, in case you miss it. Very detailed here. But this is a, kind of the Alliance Missions Strategy. And one of the cool stories is about the Congo. Here's the U.S. See this line here down to Congo, down there in the middle of Africa. The Congo is where the Alliance first sent workers. In 1884, first Alliance missionaries ever, five of them went to the Congo. One died, four came home. Between 1888 and 1908, a 20-year period, uh, 95 missionaries were sent to Congo. 29 died, 49 came home, and 18 remained. There were more missionary graves in Congo than missionaries working in the field. By 1915, that's 30 years in, there were 800 Congolese believers in, in churches there. But fast forward to 2016, by the faithful work of of people and the work of the seed to grow exponentially, the Congo now has more Alliance believers than anywhere else in the world. There are one and a half million people in Alliance churches in Congo, three times the population of people that attend in the U.S. There's a thousand churches, 170 elementary schools. There are 30 hospitals and medical clinics, three Bible schools, and three international missions efforts of the Congolese sending workers out of Congo. That's the kind of seed we're talking about here, 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. Look at Costa de Belen, our local homeless shelter for youth. If you come to Alpha tonight, you will see between 5 and 10 homeless young people who is here, very hungry for food, but also hungry to be known and hungry to hear about Jesus. There's some great fruit happening here in our community. You've heard about Faro with Robert Miller. He is now the only agency in Douglas County able to do some of these batterer interventions for those with anger management and violent behavior. He's the only one doing it in our county because the other ones gave up and quit. And he's doing it out of love for Jesus, treating them like human beings. Now look at Safe Haven. We've heard a lot about Safe Haven. Uh, They were one of only eight uh, groups featured in the state of Oregon by the Oregonian doing great work that they thought people should know about and, and, and share some financials, finances with. I think it was the season of sharing last, uh, last November. They were the only one that wasn't in the Portland area. So they're being noticed for the good work they're doing of transforming lives one at a time by the love of Jesus. I do have a hard question, though, about this fourth soil. Is the fourth soil the only one that is actual Christians? Are the other three soils Christian or not? I kind of tend to think that if we look at it through the lens of, of salvation, yes, only the fourth soil is actual Christians. Sadly, there are, are Christians who are not real Christians, people who keep on hearing but whose hearts have had the Word of God taken away and who are deceived by Satan. And it's sobering because hearing the Word, sitting in church, even having a Bible open, is not salvation. Even the sprouting of the seed isn't salvation. The enthusiasm and joy with, it, with which you receive the message is not salvation. There are many who profess to be Christians but are not actually adopted children of God whose names are written in the book of life and who are joint heirs with Christ. Salvation is evident where there's fruit. And fruit appears when a person's life and will is genuinely surrendered and submitted to the Spirit of Jesus as your Lord, as your King, as your boss, as the one who gets to drive all metaphors we use. 
where the word is welcomed and nourished and acted on and allowed to grow and flourish. A.B. Simpson, who started the alliance back in the last century, two centuries ago, uh, he was concerned that people had an actual present relationship with God. He wanted to see, is, is, your, is your walk with Christ, is your faith something that's fresh today or is it something that's happened years ago? And I get a little, a little alarmed if I'm talking to somebody and I say, tell me about your faith. And they say, well, 30 years ago, I walked the sawdust trail. I prayed a prayer 20 years ago with Pastor so-and-so. Okay, great. Tell me about your faith today. Well, 20 years ago, I, I get a little concerned, don't you? And our faith is to be a living and active thing. It's actually growing. An actual plant is there, not just some dead leaves. <laughs> so why does Jesus speak in parables? Is it, a, is it an act of judgment upon his hearers? He's going to try to obfuscate the truth because they, uh, they're disobedient? Or is it, actually, is it actually a gift to them? Verses 11 to 13 are really challenging. Jesus said to the disciples when they asked, Why parables? The, secret, the, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. The concept of God's sovereignty, his action in saving people, can make us uncomfortable, but it's clearly taught in the Bible. The church's greatest teachers after Jesus have unanimously taught that all decisions of faith rest on a prior prompting and enabling work of God's sovereign grace. Even my friends in the Wesleyan or Arminian traditions talk about this concept of prevenient grace, that God has to be there to help you to say yes to his offer, uh, because we are so um, turned against the things of God naturally. And so we see that even in the book of John, uh, you see... Some, some, both of these things. John six thirty five. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever can come and, and be satisfied from hungering and thirsting. And yet, verse 44, same paragraph almost. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John three sixteen. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son that what? Whoever believes. Whoever believes could be saved and have eternal life. And yet, 12 chapters later, John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is a great mystery, and I can't pretend to solve it in one subpoint of one sermon, but I can say this. Is it possible that when we enter heaven, this is just an illustration, we see this giant banner on the front that says, whosoever will may come. And we walk through and on our way in, we look back, and on the back of it, it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. It's possible. So in my opinion, Jesus speaking parables isn't punishment, but grace. Perhaps this story will make hard hearts stop and consider just a little bit longer, perhaps sink in that so they might understand spiritual truth. And Jesus says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever has what? I would say whoever has obedience to the truth that they've been given, truth that's acted upon. Truth that's in your head but not in your actions is not really truth that you have. We could paraphrase Christ as saying, he who acts on the truth will be given more, but he who has it and doesn't act on it will lose it. And what's more, he'll lose the capacity of receiving truth. This is a warning to us. So in summary, can we honestly invite 
anyone and everyone to accept God's marvelous gift of salvation? Yes. And do we need to thank God for the amazing grace of opening our eyes to see his goodness? Yes. Jesus says his listeners are very, very privileged. Many people, many prophets, many wonderful godly people in the past have longed to see what you are seeing now, Jesus says. But we have this great advantage. Sometimes we think, wouldn't it be cool to be Moses and talk with God in the tent of meeting or to see the powerful deeds he did getting in the Mount of Egypt? But we have a great example over, uh, we have a great advantage over Abraham and Sarah, over Esther and Amos, over Deborah and David. We've been able to hear and see the Messiah through the gospel of his apostles, to touch him in the Lord's Supper and baptism, to feel him in the fellowship of the church, even serving people together with Gordon and Karen. And not only that, we have the presence of His Holy Spirit with us. And because of the riches, because of the riches of the New Testament witness, you could even say we have it better than those who walked with Christ on the earth, because we have the whole New Testament telling us all about the Lord, plus church history that gave us things like the creeds. We figured out how is Jesus both human and divine? How does this Trinity thing work? Father, Son, Spirit. We have all this explained for us. And so we are very privileged to have what we have, and we ought to take this word very seriously and be very transformed by the fact that we can have, and we actually do want to read, the Bible. So this parable definitely talks about the four soils in terms of hearing and what kind of hearers are we, and are we actually doers of the word. But the primary emphasis of this is actually on the power of the seed, the work of the sower, not on us. Matthew calls it the parable of the sower, not of the soils. So the sower is out there sowing seed, and the seed is very powerful. God is the sower, his word is the seed, and human hearts are the soil. Our words and our lives announce the kingdom, but the weight and the pressure to grow plants is not on us, it's on God. Many of us want to see God's word sown into the hearts and lives of people you love, with the result that they be adopted into God's family. And if that's you, this parable reminds us to patiently wait for seeds to bear fruit. There is a great harvest coming, even if things seem bleak at the moment in that relationship. Seeds can take a long time to germinate. Some seeds can be 100 years old, and they're planted, and they they germinate. Here's a picture of the oldest plant that was grown from a viable seed. This is a a plant that is called Methuselah. It was grown from a 2,000-year-old seed. They found this date palm seed, and when they, when they renovated uh, or they excavated Herod the Great's palace on Masada up on the top of the hill there in Israel. 2,000-year-old seed. They planted it in 2005, and it grew Methuselah. And uh, Elaine Soley, who, who uh, is a botanist, told National Geographic this plant Methuselah, he's over 10 feet tall. He's got a few offshoots. He has flowers, and his pollen is good. His pollen is good. We pollinated a female with his pollen, a wild, modern female. And yeah, he can make dates. She says, he's got it going on. 2,000-year-old seed planted, germinated, and it made a plant. Be patient as the seed does its work. So consider how you listen. One lens to look at this parable through is the lens of salvation. And only that fourth soil, I believe, is actually the fruitful one. Is the only one that's actually saved. And I believe that the Bible teaches that if we are saved, our salvation is secure. If we actually are truly born again, that's a big if. If you've actually surrendered your heart to Jesus and been born again, adopted into his family, that's secure. And that'll be evident by fruitfulness. 
But another lens to look at this parable through is the lens of daily active listening to the word of God. Because if you've walked with Christ for any period of time, you've had seasons of more or less fruitfulness, more or less responsiveness, greater or lesser distraction. The Bible has a lot of agricultural metaphors and illustrations and talks about soil quite a bit. Here's one from Hosea chapter 10. Judah must plow and Jacob must break up the ground. God's telling his people to break up the ground in their hearts. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Plow up the unplowed ground in your heart. I believe Satan can't rob your relationship with God, but he can rob your fellowship with God. He can distract you and make you unfruitful and ineffective, and the enemy of your souls would love just that. I had my friend Medea bring me a soil tester. Easy as one, two, three. Pop this thing in the soil, it lights up and tells you how much moisture there is in the soil. A good thing to test. How, uh, how receptive is my soil for growing the plant that I want to plant in there? Maybe that's a little bit of a visual reminder to take stock of the condition of the soil in your own life. How receptive are you to the Word of God? And what does it even mean to break up the unplowed ground in our hearts? I think a few things. First of all, take time to read the Bible. Give it time. Be unhurried. Don't just do it to check the box and uh, I finished the chapter. Okay, it must be permission to go and I'm done with this for the day. But take time. Humble yourself before the Word of God, submit to it, invite God to come in and change you by it. And then cover that seed in the soil with meditation and with prayer. At my best, which is not every day, at my best, when I read the Word in the morning, I wait until I've sensed God leading me to to pray something, to obey something, to put something into practice that day, to remember something. And then I do remember it during the day. I reflect on it. I think, thank you, Lord, for that reminder, and that's kind of guided my day. I even put back at the next step table these little orange bookmarks. Uh, after you read, you can think about, is there any uh, S, P, A, C, or E, and you can get these to see what that says, in this passage for me to think about. Or on the back as I pray, a little guide for prayer. Those are at the next step table. Do we really give the seed room to grow in our hearts and lives? Too many church attenders have never really read the Bible. They're comfortable with a snack here and there from maybe a verse of the day or a word of the day and nothing against daily devotionals. But if your only input of the word is maybe one verse of the Bible every day and then somebody else's thoughts about it, that's just a snack. I grabbed one of these between services because I was hungry. If all I do is have granola bars, I'm not going to be very healthy, am I? This is helpful to tie me over (laughs) until I get home and have some actual lunch. But if that's my whole diet, it's not a very healthy diet. And God wants to serve us a meal, a rich feast through the Word. Maybe you've memorized the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm or John 3.16, and those are all great places to start. But they don't even begin to mine the depths of God's character, His plan to redeem fallen humanity and to involve you in the plan. And so I want to ask, do you really value the Word of God? If so, you will give it time and attention. It takes time and attention. I'm not talking about forwarding a meme that has to do with God or an angel or something. I'm talking about actually listening to what God is saying by reading the Bible. Is the Word more important to you? Does it get more time than your Facebook feed, than Fox News or MSNBC, than a political party's platform? Do you know what the platform of the kingdom of God is? It's in here. It's got a great platform speech. It's in the book. 
I'm not just trying to give you a guilt trip to say, go have a quiet time every day, but to really invite you to know God and to give Him the attention He deserves. Really knowing God and listening to Him will dispel fear and anxiety and aimlessness and give your life meaning and purpose. Because, did you know this? You were created to know God and to bring Him glory. And the primary way to do that is through His Word. It does help to actually have a Bible. So if you don't own a Bible, you are free to take one from this sanctuary. No one will zap you if you take one. There's no alarm at the door. Um, If you want to even have a nice selection of different Bibles at the next step table, you could take one. Steve will nicely give you even a, he will show his wares. Lots of Bibles. All the Bibles you don't pick up at the Lost and Found, we just put back at the next step table. So now you know our secret. There's some great ones, study Bibles, and, but you don't need, you know, the homeschool mom study Bible or the midlife crisis man study Bible. You just need a Bible with the words of God in it. Read it, take it in, in ingest it. There are some amazing resources out there today that I want to show you. Uh, this is a website. This is actually called YouTube. Maybe you've heard of it. The channel is The Bible Project. These guys have put together book summaries or word studies or concepts from the Bible and explain them in a really, really clear way. And this is not a replacement for reading the Bible. It's supposed to get you salivating for reading that for yourself. He even says here, we want you to read through the Bible without getting lost or giving up. So you can watch a video that summarizes the book of Exodus in seven minutes. And then you read the book of Exodus. It takes more than seven minutes to read the book of Exodus. But Another great resource is the Bible app. If you have a smartphone, you can, you can ignore the this, this stuff on the first page and just go to the read, and you can read the Bible. It'll even read it to you. You can press play, and then some nice voice will read it to you. And you can follow along and highlight stuff and do all kinds of cool things. Maybe you just need a plan. And I've got back at the table again uh, this really exciting white piece of paper, but it's got on there every word in the Bible. If you check one box every day, because aren't we into box checking, you can read the whole Bible in three years. Maybe just keep it in your Bible, fold it in half, and just mark the parts that you've read and uh, give it a shot. Read in the Bible for yourself with no training wheels. It's okay. It'll actually be be life-changing. In summary, the King has come, and the message of the kingdom is available to us here in the Word. The kingdom has come among Christ followers at the present, and the, the King wants to be king in your life. Letting him be king involves more than just coming to church or knowing verses from the Bible, but actually knowing and having a relationship with the king, listening to his communication and taking it in, being transformed by it, not merely the acquisition of head knowledge. Truth that is obeyed is the only truth that's actually really been received. So the overhead page at the airport, it's for you. It's your gate. Pay attention. If the dentist, start listening to the word of God. Jesus' word brings the power of the kingdom of God into our world, and it's our privilege and responsibility to sit under it, to sit under the teaching of the kingdom, and to take it to others by our word and deed. I've given you some questions on the back of your sermon notes to ponder, maybe at lunch today or maybe during this week with your home group or with your family. We really want to let the word of God get into us deeply and not just sit there on the surface. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, our holy God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for revealing yourself from dreams and visions to the the creation itself to most clearly in the word of God. We want to be led and guided and transformed and defined by our relationship with you. And would you allow us to allow your word room to do that? We want to be good soil, responsive, 
ready to listen, ready to think and pay attention. Please, Lord, don't let us get up from this service and go home without really having heard your word and allowing it to germinate in our hearts. Perhaps there are even some here today who are ready, who are good soil upon which this word has fallen, ready to receive you, Jesus, ready to open their minds and hearts and say, Lord Jesus, enter my life and change me. I turn away from my sinful selfishness and turn to you. Be the boss, be the king in my life. We pray they'll do so today and be changed forever. And for those of us who have been touched by your grace, God, make us good soil. We want to give room for the seed in our hearts daily so that we might resemble you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.